Hey, it's so good to be back with you guys. I'm comfortable down here, if that's all right with you guys. Uh, hey, as, as um, Dr. Fred was saying, our church is four and a half years old, and just uh, five months ago, we got into our first permanent building. We launched our church into a regal movie theater, loaded in an entire church, prayed over every single seat, anointed them, uh, rubbed the buttery popcorn residue off of them, um, and, and had church, and then turned it back over to the theater. They thought it was their building, but by the glory of God, we called it our building. And, and uh, come on, we, we, we loaded in and out, arriving at 5.30 a.m. every single Sunday, and turning it back over at uh, 1 p.m., every single Sunday for four years, and um, just about five months ago, we entered in our first facility, and so um, uh, it was a big project, and I, I need to let you know how grateful I am for Dr. Fred. Um, if it was not for Dr. Fred, Lift Church might not exist. God's call was already on my life, and my wife and I knew that before my wife and I ever met. In fact, she's the only woman I ever met that... Um, uh, I wasn't saved when I started dating most, but when I started dating her, I had realized I had a call of pastoral ministry on my life, and I didn't want to waste time talking to another female and going down the road if she wasn't called to ministry too. So on the second phone call, I was like, this is going to totally probably be weird and maybe break the relationship, but it's what I got to do. And so on the second phone call, I totally intended to say, if you're not called to be a pastor's wife, we might as well hang it up because I can tell you love Jesus, but not everyone's called to that. And it's just a different kind of lifestyle. And so I was like, you know, called her, hey, what's up, girl? Come on, with, you know, just trying to Try, trying to work into something, and she goes, hey, before we go any further, I just need to let you know, the Lord has told me I'm called to be a pastor's wife, and if you're not called to be a pastor, we might as well just hang this up. I was just like, say what? Like, what, what is the chance? Holy Spirit? Okay, all right. So, um, and so my wife and I have always known we had a call to ministry, and we've served in every capacity of the church between the two of us, children's pastor, youth pastor of over 10 years, executive pastor, worship pastor, now lead pastor for uh, about to be going on five years now. It sounds like 40 years of ministry. You combine our ministries, we might be at 40. But um, so we've always been students of him. We've always known the call. But Dr. Fred entered into my life back in um, 2008. But I had him, uh, I asked him to come speak into our youth ministry um, probably about 10 years ago. And, he, uh, and the Lord revealed to me just how wise he was walking in so many various areas of the church and with church leaders. And so I was like, the brother's busy, but you have not because you asked not. So I said, Dr. Fred, could I have 30 minutes of your time once a month? Would you mentor me? And he said, yes. And I, uh, I, I ha I've driven hours away early in the morning just to spend time with him. And you need a spiritual mentor in your life. But I'm thankful for Dr. Fred because in my lowest season of my life, he was there always to be a mentor and a guide. And um, when we were in, in an interim period of what does God have for us now, 
uh, he, he really spoke life into us. He and Debbie spoke life into us, and he said, go find out what God said to do, and don't come back till you do. And my wife and I went on a treat, re- retreat and came back knowing we were supposed to launch Lift Church. So I am forever grateful for Dr. Fred and Debbie. Can y'all give it up for your president? I wrote this, mentor, friend, visionary, leader, faith builder, counselor, prophet, gift to the church. I could keep going on, but that's who Dr. Fred is, and that's what he is to me. I also want to introduce you real quick to my family. Uh, Why? Because social stats say you'll like me better if you see my family. And as Dr. Fred said, (laughs) Dr. Fred said, my better half is on the screen, right? So my wife and I have been married for 18 years now. We have three uh, beautiful daughters. Um, God knew what he was doing when he kept giving me girls. Come on. But by, by, by the time we knew we had our second one coming, I was like, this is so of God, it'll be a boy, right? And she was, it's a girl. And I was, it's God too. And so um, we, we, we've, um, we've seen some miraculous things as God has built our family. Um, but uh, that's my family right there. And I love them very much. And as Dr. Fred said, I got Pastor Jordy with us. And if any of y'all want to hang out and learn about uh, church launching, we'd love to talk. Pastor Jordy has been there from the conception date. He's been there from before the idea ever existed. And he was at one point just a high schooler in my wife and I's youth ministry. And you want to talk about faithfulness and loyalty, but also a call of God on his life. He's only 23, but he already has his bachelor's degree in theology. And he is one of our associate pastors doing some awesome work in multiple ministries of our church, but has been there from day one. So feel free to pick Pick his brain or experience as well. But I want to get into the Word of God, and, and I love the Word, and so I want to I use a text in, in uh, the Torah. I want to use some of the text to set up some things about church leadership, some things about your experiences, some things about what you will encounter, some things about what the world wants to uh, force you to encounter, and, and, and so if you brought your Bible with me, go to Numbers chapter 22. I want to say this right now. I'm not going to make it through Numbers chapter 24, but you should do some homework. Some of my goals is always to plant a seed in you that I hope will grow even more, and so for that seed to mature to completion, you're going to need to read Numbers 22, 23, and 24, but we're going to walk through Numbers chapter 22 today, and um, let's get started, starting in verse 22. It says, God was angry that Balaam was going. I just need to make it very clear for a moment, God has emotions too. God has feelings too. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. God can feel affection and love, fatherly adoration. He can also grieve. He can also be angry with the decisions that humans make. God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and his two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey, someone say donkey, donkey. Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. This angel is not playing games. This angel does not have the sword 
uh, still sheathed or whatever you say. I don't use that term anymore. He's not just like pulling back his coat going, I'm packing. He's holding. (laughs) He's got sword drawn. And the next three words are important. The donkey bolted. The donkey bolted. I want to preach a message that I've entitled donkey faith. Would you pray with me? God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help your word speak life to us. That it would do more than tickle our ears for just a few minutes that we have together. But it would plant a seed that would mature into completion. And that would bear even more seed bearing fruit in the future days of every single person here. You are in love with your church. And you are in love with your people. So Father use these people to build your church and to grow in Jesus name I pray. Anyone who receives that can say amen. It's really a fascinating story, Numbers 22 through 24. I like stories like this in the Old Testament. It's stories that make you go, what the heck is happening? You could write a uh, Hollywood movie using this script. Um, This is out of context. This is out of normality. Uh, My youth pastor always used to say, people say the Bible is boring, and the Bible is never boring. You're boring if you think the Bible is boring because of stories like Numbers 22 through 24 where you start seeing what is going on but when you get past what is going on and start asking the question God what is the message you're trying to get to me today because it's true yesterday today and tomorrow I see this as a fascinating story about learning to respect God we can learn from people's failures we can learn from people's successes we can learn from a donkey because if If us humans won't figure it out, God can use rocks to cry out. And we can learn from a rock for crying out loud. Come on. But we can also learn from even a donkey today. It involves two men and a donkey. Balak is the first character you need to get to know. Balak is the king of Moab, Numbers 22 says. Moab is a soon-to-be enemy of the Israelites. Let me take you back to the story so that we are all in the same vein. The Israelites have been busted out of Egypt. They have had decades upon decades of slavery. They don't know the strength that they bestow with being God's people. They were not born into freedom. This generation does not know what freedom is. This generation doesn't know what stake is. This generation doesn't know what strength is. This generation doesn't know what authority is. They have been stripped of all all of their birthright. Their parents might have told them stories, but it all sounded like a fairy tale because all we've ever eaten is pig slop and made bricks from dirt and slop. And you tell me we're the favored people of God? And you tell me we're the strength carriers? Now, while God's people are figuring out just how much strength they carry, there is the world out there, King Moab, that's taking note of all they're doing. And the Bible says that the Israelites are going wherever God is leading them and taking the land. It says, Balak, king of Moab, goes, I saw them walk up in that city and take over, walk up into that city and take over, walk up into that city and take over. And some of those cities they took over were stronger than us. 
holy crap, I better do something different. Because might and muscle and weaponry is not doing the job against these kind of people. They're supposed to be a bunch of slaves, and yet they're wiping the mat. And so he says, I'm going to try something different. There's a diviner, a man who operates in sorcery. But some sort of sorcery that seems to have the power of God behind it. His name is Balaam. And Balaam has prayed over certain things before, and it has come true. He has some sort of successful track record. I don't understand this man, but sometimes you've run into spiritual people where you're like, they're so deep into some sort of third heaven that I don't know what's going on right there. I just know there's power in it. And then there's been other people that you've gone, I don't know what's going on right there, but it's just straight weird, and there ain't no power in it. It seems like Balaam's got some sort of mix of both. And that's possible, by the way. We've seen it in the gospel before, right? King Saul, or, or, or the Old Testament, King Saul had some sort of a mix of prophesying in one moment and then calling upon a sorcerer to call back a prophet Elijah to meet with him and hear an actual true encounter of prophecy and then yet go back to his knuckleheaded uh, worldly ways. And so... Let me, let me paint it this way. Balak is a picture of the world. They have all the power the world says to go after and to possess. But they're not spiritual at all. Balaam is some sort of mysterious, spiritual, effective prophet, priest, pastor, sorcerer, diviner. I don't know. Some kind of he... I don't know, does things in the mountains and we don't understand them. And yet works. And then there's a donkey. And the Bible says this. And we're going to backtrack now to verse 2 of Numbers 22. Now Balak saw that all Israelites, uh, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified. Someone say Moab. Moab was terrified of who? The Israelites. You got people who don't know their own power, and you have people in the world who understand they're more powerful than anybody else, and who's terrified of who? Come on, I need some church leaders to start understanding real quickly that when the world says I got all the money, when the world says I've got the stock market, when the world says I've got Hollywood, when the world says I own all authority, when the world says I got the celebrities in my back pocket, when the world says I've got the government resting upon my shoulders, you need to understand that they already know at the end of the day it's all a farce. It's a loud bark. And I like it when Christians buy my bark. Because the world likes to make Christians go back to slave mentality. You're right, I'm wrong. Just don't take me out. Just don't hurt me. Just let us have our holy huddles. Just, we'll stay in our church doors. We'll keep them closed. We'll keep them locked. We won't mess with Hollywood. We won't mess with government. We won't, we won't, we won't, we won't kick the bee's nest too much if you just... Leave us alone. Check your history books. Didn't work very well for Hitler. Go read the account of Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his biggest lament in life is we let them take it. 
We just sacrificed it. We just surrendered it. We, we retreated like Egyptians going, can we go back to making bricks for you? Who's stinking terrified of who? The world is terrified of a people of God who have yet, not yet figured out the power they bestow. But they're just kind of going, let's try this city. That kind of worked. I sometimes wish I could be around their campfires sometimes. Like, did any of y'all, honestly, Jordy, did y'all think we were going to win today? I just got to be honest. I did not think we were going to win today. <laughs> and now we got to go into a bigger stronghold tomorrow. Go win, and you're like, that worked too? <laughs> I think God wants a generation of people going, if he said it, I believe it. <laughs> like, like if, if he's for us, who could be against us? It doesn't add up on paper. The math doesn't work. The chariot numbers are way well in their favor. The money is an imbalanced structure. But if God is for us, who could be against us? How about, Mr. Armor Bearer, we show ourselves to this Philistine nation, and if they say, come up there, surely the Lord will deliver all of them to just you and me. What? That's got to be the dumbest biblical warfare plan we have ever heard the armor bearer might have been saying can we go up a more advantageous route up the mountain no how about we go into the crevice where we are totally exposed and unprotected and then we will put down our weapons and climb using our hands and knees while they take their archer bows and just go look at these idiots <laughs> how close do you want to let them get before we pick them off and they're just just standing there only to fi find out their bows misfired or something I don't know how that works come on but if God is for us, who can be against us? My concern today is it looks the other way around. My concern is teaching a church, why are you cowering in fear? Why are we scared of cancer? Why are we so fearful of who gets elected next in government? Why, why are we the ones who are over here going, we're all contingent upon some other power and we need it to go our way or else we're eliminated? The world is going, I hope the Christians don't figure out who the heck they are and the kind of power they have because they take the land wherever they go. Last I checked, we have the very same power that conquered the grave living inside of us. So I think he can conquer any place I put my foot. It shall be his. And I need that mentality. Because I think the world sometimes has a better revelation of it than the church does. That's why they like the church being a sleeping giant, they call it on news articles. Don't poke the sleeping giant. Because we don't really understand the power we have sometimes. Balak is showing more faith in our God than most Christians do in our God. He's going, if they tap into their God, their God doesn't lose. We should be more so going, I know the God you're talking about. I serve the God you're talking about. And my God don't lose. So we need a better revelation of who our God is more than the world needs a revelation of who our God is. Because the world knows they're selling a bill of crap. 
It's untested. It's trendy. It hasn't been proven. All the stats say it's not working. They're going to be looking for something that has stood the ancient ways. And we need to be people who aren't afraid. Romans 8.31, if God is for me, who could be against me? So Balak learned that when you live in reverence to the Lord, evil can't win. You'll find out in Numbers 23 and 24. He'll finally get the diviner to come and try to curse him. Guess what God does? God goes, go ahead, try to curse him. It ain't going to work. He's like, you Israelite nation, you will be blessed above every other nation. Over and over again, Balak's like, I never paid you to bless them. I paid you to curse them. And the sorcerer is going, every time I try to curse them, blessings come out. We will find out what Balak already found out, that if you live in reverence to the Lord, evil cannot win. Come on, guys. I, 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 I've led missions trips to uh, multiple uh, global places. One time I went to Haiti. i got to be honest with you. First time I went there, uh, they didn't tell me about voodoo is, is very big there. I'm from New Orleans, so I should have maybe known something like that. And so it wasn't that big of a problem because I know my God's bigger than that. Until it was 1 or 2 a.m. at night, they stuck the missionary team in the building that was closer to the, the rural tribal mountain road uh, that did not have fence protection and at 2 a.m. you start hearing beating drums and you're like so there must be a bar nearby they're having a party nearby Uh, oh missionary what is thy sound of that beating drum that's the voodoo tribe having spiritual worship at 2 2 a.m. in the morning huh that's, that's screaming. That's what that is. Are there locks on the doors? Why did you put our team closer to them than your quarters are to them? <laughs> but I could get quicker to the fact that my God is bigger than that. And my God has sovereignty over that. But my team really struggled to get there. We need to teach a church to understand the power that you bestow. And what is in you that they fear you way more than you fear them. And so, God's going to force blessings on it. Let me give you a real quick tip. I once saw this powerful quote. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. No one was there. I'm going to say that again. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered, no one was there. In other words, fear is going to knock at your door. If you're going to be a church leader, fear is going to try to intimidate you. To back down, water it down, retreat, close the doors, lock them, box it all out. When fear comes knocking at the door, I think we need a bunch of church leaders who have decided, I need a personal assistant. I need a butler. I'm going to hire a butler whose name is Faith because I'm no longer going to answer the door when it knocks. My butler called Faith is going to answer the door. And guess who's going to be there every time fear knocks? Fear doesn't hang out with Faith. Fear runs from Faith. But so oftentimes we answer the door and go, hey, fear, I'll back down, I'll cower down. 
I'll, I'll soften up. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to Egypt. No, no, no. Hire a butler called Faith and say, you answer the door from now on. My mind's no longer going to answer the door. My heart's no longer going to answer the door. Uh, common cultural trends and wisdom's no longer going to answer the door. Faith, hey, hey, Mr. Faith, there's someone at the door. Could you answer that? And you tell me the report. So it says that Balaam rejects Balak once and says, I can't go with you. God won't let me curse you. He, Balak comes back and doubles down. This is something I want to talk about for a minute. He says in verse 17, Balak says, don't you get it, you spiritual person? I will pay you very well. I think he told his servants, pull out the parenthesis fingers when I say, I can make your life plush. I can make things cushy for you. I can give you influence. I can make you my right-hand cabinet person. Think about the influence and the power you would bestow if you would just let me pay you handsomely with a lot of money to just bend on your beliefs just a little bit. Just drop a few scriptures out of your word. Just alter its meaning just a little bit so you'll fit in and I will take good care of you. I will put you on national media. I will give you a microphone. I will give you chariots. I will give you power and I will give you money, money, money. And Balaam, you looking for a girl? I got many girls. I will take care of you. I just need you to bend a little bit. I need you to back down on your beliefs a little bit. Young people, can I tell you this? The world's not going to relent and back down. The world is not going to stop creatively pressuring you to bend a little bit, to just alter it a little bit, to just change it just a little bit. You can still have your Romans 8.38, just don't have your Romans 8.37 or whatever scripture. I don't, I'm making that up. Don't look that up. It might be a bad one. I don't know. Why would he want to take this one out? Okay. <laughs> I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. I'll be, I'm the king. I'll be your puppet if you'll be my puppet for just a little bit. Just come and curse these people for me and we can't expect the culture to stop pushing. And the question I need to ask you today is what's your price? What's your price before you'll let him buy you off? What's your faith's price? And it's so easy to go, I don't have a price. But then someone says, I'll let you be a title in my church if you'll just drop that dogma a little bit. Or I'll give you influence and I'll let you have this. Or you could marry so-and-so if I just don't harp on this so much. Or uh, you could become the lead pastor or I could put you in public. I could give you a blue check next to your social media name. The enemy's going, what's your price? How much can I buy your faith from you for? Now, a lot of us would go, I don't have a price. Sociology would say differently. There's a sociological term called the threshold of collective behavior. It's the price or it's the crowd size needed to make you change your beliefs. 
I'm not going. Okay, you might say, I would never drive a car drunk. Does it take two friends from the world to make you do that? Does it take five friends? Does it take eight? Or does it take 50 of them? You get what I'm saying? And you might go, no, 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 Pastor, that won't get me. There's a price for a lot of different things that will cause us to change our beliefs a little bit. My favorite story to exemplify it, Wilt Chamberlain, greatest scorer of all NBA time. There was one season he was taught, if you shoot granny style, your 40% free throw rate will be closer to 100%. He tried it. His free throw rate went north of 80%. For one season, he publicly shot granny style. Do you know if you're an NBA fan, every NBA fan knows there is only one person and there will only ever be one person who had a 100-point game. And it was Wilt Chamberlain. And if you check the tape, he went to the line almost 20 times, and that was the year he went. In other words, he scored at 80%. He made more free throws than he would never have a 100% game if he was still doing this. You know what he did next year? He went back to this. Why? They asked him, because I look like a girl. Because no one shoots like this. Because it's embarrassing to shoot like this. Because I don't like standing out. So you'll do something you know is not right in order to fit in. Yes, I will. In the same way, there will be times where the enemy goes, what's your price to change what you know is not right? You get what I'm saying? Is this making sense? Okay, so I need to fast forward because I want to pray for some people. Balaam ends up going. He twists God's word. God was very clear. Do not go. Do not curse the people. He finds a way to twist God into saying, just let me get closer to him. I don't know what his words were. Like, I could, I could, it's probably the same words that you've used before when, when you wanted to date someone who was not saved. I'll get them saved. Come on, man. Just let me, let me go out there for, for a while, right? Dating evangelists, right? And so, he, you know, he was just like, let me get close to him. And so he ends up going. And how do we know God was not okay with it? Because the Bible says this. Um, so the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, started off to the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand, block his way, draw his sword. And says, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey bolted. That's what sovereign respect is. It discerns what God is doing in this time, and it sees what no one else is seeing. Come on, Jesus said, you got eyes, but you're not stinking seeing. You got ears, but you're not hearing. You got minds, but you don't understand. I'm trying to build a new nation. I'm trying to build a new people who go beyond what I can see with my natural eyes, who hear beyond what I can hear. And you, oh spiritual one, you who has respect from the kings of Moab are acting like the spiritual one, the one who does the mysterious things and the heavenlies listen, and yet you can't even see an angel with a sword drawn in front of you. You're acting all wise and powerful, but it's the donkey who's smarter than you. 
Christian leaders, we can't allow cockiness and arrogance blind us. We can't let experience go, I've done this before, I know my way. Put it on cruise control and totally miss the angel of the Lord going, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to stop you. The donkey saw it, and it says the donkey bolted. That reminds me of what the New Testament says, bolt from any youthful lust. Run from it. Bolt from it. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Bolt from the things Moab wants you to do. The donkey's wise enough to do it. Are we going to be wise enough too? Here's my big point that I want to get you to today. How much persecution are you willing to endure before you succumb to society? Let me say it again. How much persecution are you willing to endure before you succumb to society? Let me say how I think we have to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves in the day that we live into today. I think we need to have a donkey-type faith, an inner fortitude, a, a resilience on the inside that says my faith is too stubborn to be swayed, and to be manipulated by the thoughts of man. I'm going to see what God is doing in my time. And even if my rider doesn't get it. Even if my paycheck signer doesn't get it. Even if my, you fill in the blank, doesn't get it. I'm a bolt. I'm going to go the other way. Because I'm not dumb enough to cross that angel with a sword. Here's my mentality, Okay. Maybe you should adopt it too. Because we got some dark pressures that are trying to invade in our world today and I don't need to list them. God's not looking for a church that ostracizes any one of them. Last I checked, God says, you cannot separate God's love from the farthest east to the west from anybody. He's in love with everybody who is confused or going the wrong route. And he's looking for a church to be in love with them. But he's looking for a church that is full of leaders, that has a donkey-type faith, that says this. And you check the conversation they had. It's in your Bible. The donkey, the Lord opens the donkey's mouth, and the donkey goes, what's up, bro? What the heck is going on? And Balaam's talking to a donkey like it's normal. You're the idiot who keeps turning off the road. I, I have been loyal to you and faithful. And the donkey turns around and says, I've been loyal and faithful too. When's the last time I crossed you? When's the last time I started an argument with you? You're just so thick-headed and donkey-like. Donkey speaking. But you can't even see what's in front of you. And I think we need to have the donkey's faith, which basically said this to the writer. This is the Pastor Drew version, the PDV. I have no desire to pick a fight with you. I love you. But let it be very clear today that if it comes down to picking a fight or crossing you versus crossing that angel with a drawn sword, you and me going to brawl every single time. Because I love you. And I think you might be a little going the wrong way. 
And I think you might be lost, and I'm not looking to have an argument with you every time we have coffee. By the way, love should be with truth. Truth should be with love. So the love side says, bro, I, I'm, I'm not desiring to make our entire relationship about this one thing. But let it be absolutely very clear. If it comes down to picking a fight with you versus picking a fight with that angel, I'm fighting you every single time. Because my faith says I will always be obedient to God and his plans. Even if it means crossing the most loyal rider and owner and check rider and caretaker and the feeder of my food I've got. So be it. I'd rather bolt and tick you off than to tick that angel right there off. That's called sovereignty. God's got sovereignty, and oh, rider, you do not. You got my loyalty, but my loyalty is higher to this angel and my God and his teachings than it is to your cultural trends and pressures. So beat me if you want to. The donkey took three beatings. How many beatings will we take before we go, I'll back off. I won't say that anymore. I won't preach from that text anymore. I won't sing from those things. I'll hide my tongues in the closet. I'll hide my prayer language. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to. Just hire me. I'll do whatever you want to. Just give me a following. I'll do whatever you want to. Just give me a platform. Heck no, man. I want to be on your platform. And I'd like to be the one God chooses. But let it be very clear, if it comes down between crossing you and crossing him, I'm going to cross you every single time. And I ain't looking to start a fight. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But if we about to brawl, I'm going to brawl with you, not God. Last time I checked, it didn't work very well for Jacob. You know, hey guys, how are y'all doing? Apostle Jacob here. Don't mind my limp. <laughs> Got into a fight with someone I never should have fought with in the first place. He won. He's the undefeated one. And I learned a lesson that day. I'm going to learn before I learn that lesson. I ain't crossing him. Amen. I want to pray today with some future church leaders who say, I want to have a voice, but more than that, I want to have a resilient faith that doesn't succumb to society, but is a voice that is used by God. And I'm willing to endure persecution or waiting or feeling like my times should have come, but maybe it's not here yet. All I know is I have been obedient to God, and obedience commands a blessing, and I'll take the anointing every day of the week. And so I might have to hit restart from time to time, or I might have to change things up a little bit, but I'm not going to choose obedience to man more than I'm going to choose obedience to God. If there are people in this place, we don't have much time, rush down here because I want to lay hands on and intercede for and, and pray for a generation of church leaders who say, more than anything else, more than success, more than effectiveness, come on, some of the most effective prophets didn't look effective on paper, and yet God said, get me some paper in the Bible to talk about them. Hebrews talks about the hall of faith where he says, let me tell you about some who didn't get to see it all come to pass and yet they were effective and faithful and God used them. And so what I'm going to begin to do is ask you to start praying. Just start laying down any of your things that would easily be bought. 
For some of you, it might be an insecurity that the enemy's going, oh, I know how to buy this one. Because there's an insecurity of, I need to be loved, and so I could buy them in this way, and I will rob their anointing from them, and I will take their plans and effectiveness from them. For some, it might be uh, 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 um, an insecurity. From others, it might be a pride weak point where you just know, I, 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 I need this, that, or the other. It might be money. I'm not sure what it is. But if the Holy Spirit is revealing it to you right now, lay it down, lay it down, lay it down. I'm going to ask Pastor Jordy, Dr. Fred, any other leaders that you want to come up here, we're going to just begin to lay hands on and pray for. God, I pray in the name of